How to get your lazy AI out of bed in the morning. A kill switch for rogue intelligent agents. And teaching robots to feel. All this and more on This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Hello and welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI, the podcast where I bring you the week's most interesting and important stories from the world of machine learning and artificial intelligence. I'm Sam Charrington, and today is Friday, June 10th, 2016. Hello and welcome to the show, everyone. Before we jump into our stories for today, I wanted to give you a really brief update on the podcast. In particular, I wanted to make sure you know that in addition to SoundCloud, This Week in Machine Learning and AI is also available on iTunes, Google Play, and now, thanks to a request by user Infinity Coffee on the Machine Learning subreddit, it's also up on Stitcher. I think I've got all my bases covered. But if you've stumbled across this podcast and find that it's not where you want it to be, please reach out to me on Twitter and let me know. I'm at Sam Charrington there, S-A-M-C-H-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N, and I'd be happy to hear any ideas or suggestions that you've got. You can find the show notes for this and every show on my website at http colon slash slash cloudpul.se slash twimmel. The notes for this particular show will be at http colon slash slash cloudpulse slash twimmel slash four, the number four. And now, today's show. And now, our first segment for today is on intrinsically motivated AI. If you were with us last week, you may remember our discussion about reinforcement learning based on Andre Karpathy's great blog post. We said then that reinforcement learning is when a learning agent learns based on feedback that it receives from its environment as opposed to labeled training data, for example. In the case of simple games like the Atari Pong game that Andre looked at, this is usually a reward that is earned when the game is won. One of the things that was discussed in Andre's post is that the machine needs to be told quite a bit about its environment in order to function. This is different from a human child, which brings a huge amount of intuition and prior knowledge to the game. For example, how the ball bounces, what actions are likely to lead to winning the game, and what various objects in the game are likely to do. For example, a key that they might stumble across. Another Atari game, Montezuma's Revenge, is used in Andre's article to illustrate the difficulty that reinforcement learning algorithms can have when faced with complex environments with lots of different features, which in the case of Montezuma's Revenge means 72 different rooms filled with keys, ropes, ladders, and a variety of traps and enemies. This game has been very hard for AI to crack, with efforts prior to the ones described in this paper topping out at visiting at most two or three rooms out of the 72 after learning on over 200 million frames. In a paper published last week, researchers from Google DeepMind in London 
describe a new approach to what are called intrinsic motivation algorithms that helps the AI develop a sense of curiosity. With the intrinsic motivation approach, the AI is trained based not only on whether the game is ultimately won or lost, but also on what is called an exploration bonus that encourages the algorithm to explore the game's world more broadly. Intrinsic motivation itself isn't new, but what's new here is an algorithm for extracting this exploration bonus from a complex environment like that of Montezuma's Revenge. What the researchers achieve is a bot that was trained in a quarter of the frames of previous efforts and yet is able to beat out 15 of the 72 rooms. There's a very nice video of the bot in action up on YouTube that I encourage you to take a look at. So why is this work important? Well, researchers often think about intrinsic motivation as a way to teach AI agents to behave and learn like children. More practically, reinforcement learning is often applied in robotics, and we can see implications in fields like defense, where you might want an AI-powered drone to explore enemy territory, or in science, where you might use an AI-powered autonomous vehicle to explore the seabed or underground tunnels or space. In a knowledge work context, on the other hand, you can imagine an AI-based marketer in which techniques such as these are used to encourage the AI to creatively explore new pricing or promotional campaigns. Again, very interesting research here. I'll be dropping a handful of links into the show notes, including links to the YouTube video, a couple of interesting papers on the topic, as well as an online course that uh, you can explore if you'd like to dig in deeper. At the risk of spending too much time talking about research papers and what the Google Mind team is up to, there was another really interesting paper published recently that had the internet's a buzz this week, and I'd like to give that one a quick mention. The paper is on what are called safely interruptible agents. Now, while I do believe that AI-based automation will have huge near-term impacts on society, I'm not an Elon Musk type who's particularly worried about Skynet-type scenarios. That's not to say that I don't think that there's a high potential for disaster when you've got weaponized AI drones flying around, but that's another story. In any case, that's all the more reason why research like this paper into safely interruptible AI agents is potentially very important. The paper, written by Laurent Orceau of Google DeepMind and Stuart Armstrong of the Machine Learning Research Institute, looks at a scenario in which you've got a reinforcement learning-based agent out in the field. In that kind of situation, it's reasonable to expect that from time to time you'll need to hit the panic button, or what they call the big red emergency button, to prevent the AI from causing harm to itself or others. But if you do that, how exactly do you ensure that the AI won't learn to avoid or seek out being interrupted? What's most interesting to me about this paper is really the thought experiment itself. It's like the Heisenberg uncertainty principle for robotics. 
how do you control the agent without changing the agent's behavior? Now, Skynet or no Skynet, I, for one, am happier knowing that someone is thinking about how we make sure that we can stop the robots that we've created. So we've talked about how to get our bots to motivate themselves and how to stop them when they're going a little bit too far. Let's take things to a much more practical level and look at some updates to important projects in the world of machine learning and AI. First up is Google's deep learning framework, TensorFlow. The TensorFlow team pushed out an update on Monday the 6th. TensorFlow 0.9 has a bunch of new features and improvements. The headliners being support for Python 3.5, the ability to do processing on GPUs on macOS, and probably the one that's received the most fanfare, new support for Apple iOS. TensorFlow support for iOS happened to coincide with an interesting blog post on Medium by a user, Hartater, that looked at the challenges of running machine learning on iOS. User Hartater was building an app that tried to estimate calorie counts of foods using pictures of the food and wanted to use TensorFlow, but was discouraged due to RAM and CPU utilization, as well as a general inability to get TensorFlow running on iOS at the time. Hartater ended up using the CAFE framework to train two models, one for identifying the food and another for rating the food in terms of its greasiness or leanness. Ultimately, Hartater was able to get the app working, but not without a bunch of compilation and runtime issues. Check out that post for an interesting discussion of getting machine learning running on mobile. The question that jumps out to me, though, is, are you better off using cloud-based machine learning models for running on mobile, given your RAM and CPU limitations. In other platform news, the massively popular Spark analytics engine is continuing its march towards version 2.0, which is expected later this month, and was the center of attention at this week's Spark Summit conference. Spark has been evolving its data access APIs away from the RDD data structure, which was introduced in Spark 1.0, and toward newer constructs called data frames and data sets, which have been introduced over the past year. While the original Spark MLlib package will continue to be preserved, future development in the Apache Spark community will focus on the data frame-based APIs and the pipeline approach to machine learning that they offer. Jumping over to business news, this week we learned a bit more about a company called NewPath. NewPath, that's K-N-U-P-A-T-H, is a chip startup that spent the last 10 years in stealth mode developing a new type of chip architecture for machine learning and other types of applications. NewPath is one of a handful of companies that's part of a collective called NewEdge, K-N-U-Edge, that was founded by former NASA chief Dan Golden. New Edge did a PR launch this week and got a ton of press. 
The company's raised about $100 million to date and has brought in about $20 million in revenue, though it's not clear from what I've read whether that revenue comes from New Path alone or from the entire group of companies. NewPath's first product is a chip with 256 cores, each of which is more akin to the cores of a digital signal processor, or DSP, than the CPUs or GPUs commonly used today for machine learning and deep learning applications. The company's first few first-generation boards are already in the hands of customers now, but they're not saying who. They expect their second-generation product, which is called Hermosa, to ship in late 2017. A core element of their architecture is a high-speed fabric called Lambda that can link up to 512,000 of these chips together for extremely high levels of scalability. There's definitely a lot of promise here, but also a lot of fluff in a lot of the media reports that I came across lots of talk of chips inspired by the brain's neurons and the like. One of the best looks, though, into the technology comes from an article on the Next Platform site, which I'll link to in the show notes. Next up in business is news from Crowdflower. One of the killer apps for crowdworking sites like Amazon's Mechanical Turk is, in fact, machine learning where these sites are able to provide an easy way to harness human intelligence for both labeling training data as well as augmenting machine intelligence applications in what are called human-in-the-loop systems. You'll recall that we discussed this uh, latter part last week when we talked about Claire Corthell's article on hybrid intelligence. With this in mind, it's no surprise to see companies in that ecosystem jump onto the machine learning opportunity. And this is just what Crowdflower has done. The company started as an easier-to-use management layer on top of Mechanical Turk, but went on to build their own contributor network and left the MTurk platform about 18 months ago. This week, the company announced that it's closed a $10 million Series D financing as well as a new product called Crowdflower AI that is specifically designed to support machine learning use cases. Specifically mentioned use cases include sentiment analysis, search relevance, content moderation, data collection, as well as labeling and training. We started out with a company that raised $100 million, just talked about one that just completed a $10 million raise, and now we're getting even smaller and talking about a company that has a current Kickstarter project going, but this is a pretty interesting one. A New York City company called LifeBeam launched a successful Kickstarter project recently for a product called Vi. LifeBeam's Vi brings together machine learning and artificial intelligence as well as wearable Internet of Things technologies to help people get and stay fit and meet their athletic goals. I'm personally really excited about this space. I was a backer for a product called Move, which is going after a very similar vision, but with a very different product. Now, that company has shipped its product already. And while they have stumbled a bit on execution, the devices are uh, have a very flaky Bluetooth connection, and the company has lagged on supporting its Android app. 
uh, it's still really clear to see the possibilities that these types of systems offer. The Move system in particular uh, has models for coaching you through swimming and cardio boxing, and they have a short a seven-minute fitness app. It's just a very cool product. But let's get back to Vi. Vi also looks really cool. Vi ships with earphones that have an integrated heart rate sensor, and the Vi app is able to do things like coach you through running workouts based on target heart rate intensities. Now, the big problem with this space today is that these products don't play nicely with each other. If you think about what Move offers, it's accelerometers for your wrists and ankles, and what Vi offers, the HR sensor, uh, these would go really nicely together, uh, but no one company can do it all. No one company can develop rich models for swimming and boxing and running. And so what we really need more of is standard ways for users to be able to mix and match the sensors that they want to use with the uh, artificially intelligent, with AI models that support the activities that they want to do. But we're just not there yet. Let's close out the show by talking about some really interesting projects that I've come across this week. In fact, Each of these three projects are based on RNNs. Those are recurrent neural networks. RNNs differ from traditional neural networks in that they have loops so that the neural networks, the RNNs, can develop uh, an element of memory that traditional neural networks don't have. With that as background, they are used quite frequently in generative AI which we talked about last week when I introduced Google Magenta. The first project that I want to share with you is called Sunspring, and it's actually a movie whose screenplay was written by a recurrent neural network. You've got to see it. It's up on YouTube. Of course, I'll drop the link in the show notes. Pull it up. You will be amazed. Here's a little bit of background. There's a project called the 48-Hour Film Challenge where teams compete to make the best movie they can in 48 hours, given only a genre and a set of prompts. Now, I happen to know a little bit about the 48-hour film festival because I've been involved in a couple of 48-hour film projects, uh, both as a writer as well as an actor, a horrible actor, but an actor nonetheless. Suffice it to say that the team that I worked with led by my good friend, Scott. Uh, Our group was named Face Down in the Muck, Ode to the Dude. Uh, Suffice it to say that our team uh, couldn't have held a stick to the team that created this movie, Sunspring. The team was led by director Oscar Sharp, who collaborated with an NYU AI researcher named Ross Goodwin. Ross trained a type of recurrent neural network RNN called a long short-term memory RNN, so LSTM RNN, with the complete works of Margaret Atwood, Isaac Asimov, and other sci-fi writers 
And this RNN was able to generate a screenplay according to the 48-hour film festival rules. Uh, in the 48-hour film festival, the teams are given only a genre, in this case sci-fi, and a set of prompts, things like a line that needs to be said in the movie, a prop that needs to be used in the movie, etc. And uh, they've got 48 hours to make the movie. Uh, now, I don't know Oscar Sharp or who he is, but he's got some clout. The movie starred Silicon Valley's Thomas Middleditch. So they had quite a team there. But again, the screenplay was written entirely by uh, this AI. And the team took some liberties in how they interpreted the, the screenplay. I think I first came across Sunspring in an article in Ars Technica. And they did a great job with the title, uh, which is movie written by algorithm turns out to be hilarious and intense. Uh, it's so true. And I encourage you to take a few minutes to watch this movie. The next project that I wanted to bring to your attention comes to us from a company called Dango. Dango offers an app that you download onto your smartphone and it watches what you type and can suggest emoji based on what it sees. Now, I've never needed emoji suggestions, but the company makes an interesting point that emojis are part of being uh, expressive in our messaging. And as a result, uh, it's important to be able to take advantage of the the rich catalog of emojis that are available, and they've got the app that helps you do that. What's really great about this article is that the company provides a really accessible overview of what RNNs are and how the company went about training their uh, deep learning model to deliver their app. Finally, Siraj Raval, who is known as Sirajology on Twitter and YouTube, has a great series of videos called ML for Hackers. His videos are super fast-paced, but also really, really entertaining walkthroughs of various machine learning projects that he's worked on. And he links to GitHub repository with it in the description of each video, so you can follow along and dive into his code in as much detail as you want. Siraj's latest project looks at how to build a chatbot using deep learning and the Torch library and might be the most hilariously educational thing you watch all week. Go check it out. Machine Learning for Hackers Build a Chatbot. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. As they say in Radioland, keep those cards and letters coming. By that, I mean hit me up on Twitter with your questions, comments, suggestions. I'm at Sam Charrington, S-A-M-C-H-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N. If you're looking for the show notes, you can find them at http colon slash slash cloudpul.se slash T-W-I-M-L. That's cloudpulse slash twimmel. And add slash four to get to the show notes for this specific show. Thanks for listening and catch you next time.